This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. Welcome to the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber. We have two great episodes for you today, or two great conversations. I keep saying two great episodes, but it's really two conversations in one episode, um, which has kind of been the format that we've been running with. I'd actually like some feedback if people are interested in giving some feedback, um, whether people like this format, they don't like this for- format. It seems to be doing better than the other way, so I'd like to keep doing it this way, but you people tell me. Um, we have... Sean McDowell on the show, and we have Hillary McCloy. Hillary has been on the show uh, before, and she's great. I mean, I think a lot of the listeners know who Hillary is. She is a PT. She's a runner. She is a former U.S. ski team member. She's an absolutely ripping good skier. She's part of the Ski the Whites crew, um, and we talk about running, um, which is obviously not a thing that I am very good at, but... It's a thing that I am working on. Uh, so Hillary and I kind of talk about getting into running, what the season looks like, um, and what that transition looks like going from ski season to run season and how those muscles are different and all that kind of stuff. I always joke like bikes, bike shape and ski shape are both shapes, but they're not the same shape. Um, run shape is very different also. Uh, so then we go on and we talk to Sean McDowell and that is such an insane conversation. He is now the vice president over at Sperry, uh, the shoe company. Uh, but he also was a designer for Nike for 22 years. He designed the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man costume. We talk about like some crazy stuff. I don't even know how this is not a ski episode at all. Um, nor is it a bike episode. It's more of an outdoor episode. If anything, Sperry has this new sport line that's coming out. So figured it was a good time to talk to Sean. Um, and we got to talk about like John Legend, Kobe Bryant, some of the people that he's worked with, his designs over the years, uh, the Air Max Plus, which sold like 9 million units. Uh, there's, if you're a shoe head, uh, a sneaker head, if you're into this kind of stuff, and even if you're just into design, this is such a great, concise episode to listen to because we kind of get face to face with one of the best in design. Um, and obviously watch it on the YouTube. That's kind of what we're pushing these days is subscribe to the YouTube, watch the YouTube. Um, it's, it's great. Like we're trying to separate the episodes so you can choose them. We're building shorts out with it. The whole Ethan's doing a lot of work in the back room. So we'll make that work worthwhile for everybody. Um, before we jump into the episode, a couple quick things. Some new merch just dropped on the site. Uh, go get that. Go check it out. Go check out the website. I've been writing a bunch of new blog posts on the Out of Podcast site, so check those out as well. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, leave a review on Spotify. That stuff helps tremendously, and I, uh, I can't thank you guys enough for doing that. Also, we have a sponsor for today, um, and that sponsor is Darn Tough. As you can see... If you're looking at the screen, I'm wearing some darn tufts right now. Uh, and they're just, they're the best socks. This is the sponsor that I kind of always dreamed of uh, because I wear a lot of socks. I wear a lot of shoes. And if you know anything about socks, 
comfortable socks are the most important thing in an outfit. In fact, actually, when I interviewed Brody Levin a few months ago about last year standing, he said the biggest difference maker was on day three when he put on some clean socks and brushed his teeth. He felt like he could go. This is an hour 65, mind you. He said he could go another 10 hours plus who knows how long. Um, just because he got some fresh socks on. So get some fresh socks, get some darn toughs, buy nice or buy it twice. These are the best socks that exist. If I say the word socks one more time, somebody's probably going to off me. Uh, they're Merino wool. They're made in the U.S. They're in Vermont. I got the opportunity to go to the factory a couple months ago, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing to see. Also, the way that they make socks in these machines is so insane. This is like barely even an ad it is i'm just telling you it is so crazy to see how they make these socks like it think like how a spider makes a web and then apply that to socks in your brain and then it's just a robot and then it's hundreds of them it is so crazy and obviously there's humans running these things and there's so many wonderful people in the office and i i was just blown away by the way that that business runs uh so go buy some darn tough socks we've included a link in the show notes uh, for both the podcast and for the YouTube. So click away, buy some new socks. They're guaranteed for life, uh, so you know the last. Um, so without further ado, here is Hillary McCloy. Uh, Hillary, once again, why don't you tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of go into the whole actual conversation. Sweet. Yeah, my name is Hillary McCloy, and I live in Jackson, New Hampshire. I currently am a physical therapist. That's my day job. And then that sort of blends into what I do and, you know, for fun. So backcountry skiing, ultra running. Um, so it's been fun to kind of mix the two. But um, my background is I grew up in Southern Vermont and I got really into ski racing. And that took me to the US ski team, which was awesome. I did that for five years. And then went to UVM, raced. I'm, you know, I'm definitely better at slalom and giant slalom being an Easterner. You know, we're not really known for our speed, but I definitely dabbled a little bit in um, downhill, but not a ton. And then after college, I ended up heading out to Oakland, California, of all places. My sister lived there. And so I had a great time living the Cali lifestyle for a while. And that's where I went to physical therapy school. Um, so I, got my doctorate there. And then we, I moved back with my partner now, Andrew Drummond, almost eight years ago. Um, and that, I know that because today is our dog's eighth birthday. Whoa. And we, and we like first met him when he was like four weeks old. So Squall's birthday. Big, Squall, big Squall is the most popular dog in all of New England. <laughs> yeah, he is. Like, literally. So we just went for a walk. We're going to go for another, like, party walk later. But, you know. <laughs> um, can we can we talk a little bit about uh, current situation in Mount Washington? I know, like, it's, it's probably the right time to talk about it because yeah. this weekend was nuts. Obviously, that video that um, right? I think it was Mount Washington Avalanche Center posted uh, of this guy just tomahawking down the hill, like, completely uncontrolled. Yeah. And also, like reports of it just being sketchy as shit and not very good at all um yeah, in the whites right now i mean we're yeah like 
I think people, it seems like the last few years we get ahead of our, our like spring skiing. Um, and it's the last two years it's spring has sort of hit here. I'd say like a month early. So down here in the Valley, it's really warm. There's no snow anymore. So everyone's like, Oh, you know, it's tux time, you know, spring skiing, but this happened last year too, a little bit where it's still like wintering up there. Like the last couple of days, you haven't even been able to see the mountain because there's just a cloud on it. And, um, I don't know if it's snowing right now, but it's windy and really cold. Um, so we're getting into that situation where, you know, people are thinking, let's go spring skiing. And then they're getting up there and it's, and it's solid. You know, we've had some little bit, it's been warm and then it froze and it, up there I don't I feel like I've never felt this type of snow anywhere else but you I don't know if you've been up on that or the Sherby where it's it's like it's not ice but it's not snow it's this like scary like glass like texture I yeah. feel like and, <laughs> um you can cramp on into it pretty well but then often you go to put an edge on it and it just doesn't work that well yeah um and so yeah we I worked I was working Saturday and Sunday um so I hadn't had a plan to go up there just because we also saw the weather and we always look at the temps for elevation and you could tell it was cold in the bowl. Um, but yeah, a friend of mine was at the top of shoot when that happened and watched him no go kidding. off. And so he said there was like a group of three, one guy went down and made it that guy. I think he said almost like on his first or second turn lost a ski. I think he chattered out and then went down off that like buttress that's in between shoot and like the skiers left of headwall. And yep. That's we we in the, this year because there hasn't been a lot of snow up there. That's kind of our route up. And I've had like visions of getting like sloughed off that thing before. Yeah. But um, like long sliding fall would be terrifying. And then um, I guess the third person in that group was on a snowboard, and he like had like a like rightfully so like panic attack. And so yeah. our my friend like helped him. I guess go get collected, put his crampons back on. And like, I think he like booted down left or something. Cause he was just Got like, um, something, something along those lines, but either way. Um, and then, yeah, we were just hearing lots of stories about the long sliding falls and, you know, it's, it's so interesting because you can go online, you can read the avalanche report and they're saying, you know, they're all saying, you know, it's, it's dangerous up there, long sliding falls. Right. Um, but it's this weird phenomenon where people just keep going. And I always wonder like, if it's scary hiking up, why do we, why do we, why do people yeah. keep going up, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is talked about a lot, but it's, it's accessible. People pick their day. They're like, right. we have to go, we have to see tucks. And, you know, I, I think it was interesting. And I think it was good that they Mount Washington Valley Avalanche Instagram posted that it yeah. like, was made me like, made, I think it made a lot of people like a little ill, but sure. you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just like, we're out there all the time and you see that happen and it's, yeah. it's, um, it's scary. And, but I, you know, it was like a very, you know, they're basically saying like, see, we told you, we told you it's, it's sketchy. Um, yeah. It's insane to me. Like people just think that like, Oh, all that gear and all the safety precautions that people talk about, they're just being like, over careful like you don't right. need that like but you do and this is like prime example of it like i've watched wilkie skiing up there multiple times and he's not even skiing he's just like like fucking hiking basically he's like got crampons right. on he's got isaacs like he has no intention of skiing the line basically he's just like looking around looking for something skiable and it's yeah. it's hilarious so 
Um, I, yeah, I think, I think this year too, just since we've had such a low snow year, um, I've heard more like, I, oh, I ended up down climbing it instead. The stories this year mm. than like any other year. <laughs> Which is smart. Which yeah. is smart. I mean, especially in those situations, especially if people aren't comfortable with it. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, no, it's been interesting. And now it just like, you know, what we always look for is, you know, you need sun to soften everything. And then you need it to be like, you know, in the fifties down here so that it's like warm up there so that it melts. Um, right. But, but also you just never know until you go. And that's another, you know, we always go with it with a goal or plan, but we, you know, you have to know that like, you have to be very comfortable with that changing because then I think um, Christian went up on Sunday and there was like six inches of like grapple powder. <laughs> yeah. It looked good. You know? and, and that wasn't in the forecast. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. It's too, it's too hard to figure out. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I basically like my, I'm like, if somebody I know and trust is going, I will go. Otherwise I'm like, "Eh, I'm not going to go by myself and go ski that shit. Like that seems terrible. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. Anyway. I, yeah. I almost talked myself into going alone earlier this year just because I thought it was going to be good. And I had no ski buddy. It was like a random midday week. And then I didn't go. Cause I'm like, that's, but, it's, but I've almost gone to that trap of like, yeah, but like. It's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, your rule is you don't go alone. Right. For sure. Especially there. Um, Sherb report. Is it skiable? Skiable down? Um, Did not look like it from what I saw. As far as I know, last, the last, I think over the weekend, people were talking about taking their skis off at the very bottom. Okay. Uh, we skied it before the last warm rain event and we got all the way down and it, it was mostly an ice issue. Yeah. So I, I saw that. Pretty good. I bet they're still skiable two thirds of the way down at least. Yeah. Um, again, I haven't been up there just because it's been cold. So I'm sure it's just like a sheet of ice right now. Right. Um, a lot of ski talk so far. Obviously the reason that I wanted to have you on um, and you want to talk about stuff was running um, mm-hmm. as we start to kind of transition into that season, which like, honestly, It's funny, like two days ago or three days ago, it was beautiful and sunny and warm. And now it's brick. And I'm just, I'm like kind of confused. I'm kind of over it. And honestly, like my body hates it. Um, But I'd still like to talk about some running stuff. Um, So why don't you explain to people what Run Strong is, what the program that you've developed is, and kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, so um, as a physical therapist and then, turned runner. Um, I didn't really run much until I became a PT and we moved back here again eight years ago and started running a lot and I've learned a lot about it. But um, basically I started this class called Run Strong seven years ago and I did it in person where I used to work at a physical therapy place. And basically it was designed to have teach people how to do all the like the, the strength that you hear about and, and strengthen your muscles and get everything prepped for run season. I remember I trained for a half marathon and I downloaded like a really basic plan from the internet and it had like strength days. And I remember being like, what's that? And, and I, I had an idea as a PT, so I did a little bit, but I asking around, no one did strength. Like you go run, that's how you get better at running. And, and I think that's been a mentality for a long time. And so I was already doing my powder hour class, which is basically a pre-ski season prep class. Yep. So I was like, oh, I'll do one in the spring for runners. 
And I usually start it, I used to start it in April, but now I feel like spring's coming earlier. And it is just designed to, um, I think, educate um, runners. I, as a PT, I try to talk through each exercise as to like why, why you want to have a strong muscle here. And then like, how does that relate to running? Right. Because when running is like this like high impact sport. It doesn't really, you know, some days it seems like you're floating along. Other days it feels like you weigh a hundred pounds, right. you know, your feet are lead, lead weights. But every time you hit the ground and, you know, you hear about these things sometimes in the running communities, like these like ground reaction forces. And so your body has to take load. That's, you know, I've heard everything from four to eight times your body weight depends on if you're running up or downhill. Right. So that's a ton of load into your, into your muscles and your joints. And so it's definitely beneficial to strengthen a lot of like, I know there's some specific muscles, but muscles that are going to help, um, like resist and take that load. And then you'll actually be able to run more efficiently and, and stronger, but then, you know, usually when we get injured with running, generally it's usually sort of like an overuse issue. Um, often tendons, you hear a lot about like tendonitis and tendinopathy or like joints are just getting stressed from poor alignment or too much load from compression. And, and so, and often that all circles back to like a weakness in a way. So you know, people will say, oh, I just ran, I'm running a ton, right? I just ran 50 miles last week. I'm super, sh-. and so we equate that to being really strong, but when muscles get like tight and fatigued and tired, they often start to function incorrectly or other muscles compensate and then they get, something gets weak. And then that's usually the, you know, what we start to usually feel as pain. Right. So, you know, I think from a PT perspective, understanding the body from like an athlete perspective, as someone who's like almost through their thirties, um, like, you know, I'm starting to feel a lot of like this, like vulnerability, you know, I, it was like, wasn't until two summers ago where I could just go do whatever I wanted. And right. I never had to like pay for it. I never had to do any of the strength stuff. <laughs> um, and, but it's catching up to me and, and there's more than just the strength, but like, um, basically run strong is, this class that I've converted to online. Um, and I'm hoping soon I'm trying to move into a bigger space up here to do it in person in the Valley again. Cool. Uh, but it's basically 16 different workouts that you can, you know, get access to now and then basically have all summer. And it's all, it's just designed to hit specific areas and have, um, you know, target your muscles in specific ways that mimic running and hopefully, you know, it's like that, that other really important piece to be able to keep running all summer. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, as I've told you before, like running is not my forte. It's not a thing that I understand. And it's not, I honestly don't think that I was ever built to be a runner. So I guess one of my questions is really is is personal. What I'm built like a Costco size cereal box. Okay. So how do I get used to running like because every time I go running I feel like my whole existence hurts and then I'll push through and I'll do another day and then I'll do another day and then I still I I just don't feel like I ever get to the point where even if I'm running consistently and running longer miles like my body feels like it hurts all the time 
doesn't like it doesn't get easier because you were you were training for 50k last I was fall, right? I was and then I didn't do it because I, I don't even I don't even know what reason I don't do, I didn't do it but I'm planning on doing one this year like it's still on the list of things that I'd like to accomplish my plan was to just suffer through it it wasn't to train my plan right. was to just like get through it because I think there's there's something to be said for that like you guys it's Keith whites and and very familiar with doing those kinds of events where a lot of times it's like, yeah, it's fitness, but it's also just pushing through mentally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I was planning on leaning on more than the actual running technique and the physicality and the practice of itself. So I yeah. guess the long winded question is how do, what do you do if you're looking to start running more often you're trying to make this part of your lifestyle whether it's for health reasons whether it's because you look at somebody like like yourself or andrew or at the top of the sport like courtney dewalter and then you're like oh okay i want to be like these people right how how do you start i think that's the question i would say you know you have to start running obviously um and i like like this time of year like I don't run a ton in the winter. I run a little bit and then start to ramp it up. So try to run. I tried to run a little more frequently, but not super long, you know, so I'll run like 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, a few days a week and just see how that feels. And there, I find that there is a point when I also start, um, training runners who've had a little bit of a background, but it's, it's, there is something about like that frequency and the reps and just, getting into running, you know, itself, right? Like we can all run. Um, but there is like, there is some skill to it and there is, you know, there's technique and you can get deep into that, how, you know, different techniques make you more efficient. Um, and, and then also I think the whole piece about mobility and strength, you know, a lot of people, most people just go running cause we can't, right. You don't need a lot of gear. You need like sneakers, you need some shorts, shirt depending on what you need um and I think that's what you know as a a recreational runner it works but I think because it's so accessible you know I think that's when people get into trouble because people will just start running a lot and their bodies aren't quite um ready for it so you know if it was you I would say and if you have the time and you want like I would go see a PT or some sort of like run specialist um just to get like a general assessment, like where are you tight, you know, like ankle mobility, hip mobility, or just a few areas that are really important. And if those aren't, if you don't have great mobility there, you know, you're, you're like, just, you know, subtly, you know, fighting something that doesn't need to be fought, but um, yeah, it's like a gradual increase. And then another thing I hear a lot are people say like, they want to run faster, but they always just run, but they'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, I run the same pace always. I'm just, I just run longer right. and to run faster, you have to, um, change your intensity. So that's where like different types of like intervals come in, but. Right. How, how do you improve on things like ankle flexibility, hip flexibility? Like those are, th- you mentioned those two things and immediately yeah. a bell went off in my head and I'm like, oh, yeah. cool. You have fucking none of those. So <laughs> how do you. How do you build those kind of things? Because I know a lot of people that are in that same boat. Um, Yeah. I mean, especially if you've been like skiing all winter, right? You're basically in like a cast. So you don't have much. We we do not have any ankle. We do not bend our ankles much, even if we're skinning. Um, uh, Different, like some stretching, um, working the muscle tissue. Like if you're, 
actual muscle in your calf is like super tight from maybe just being in a cast all winter skiing. Yeah. Um, you have to like make sure the muscles like pliable enough so that it can stretch and it can work. Um, and then also I have a lot of people if they're stiff also do like some hopping things, um, and more sort of exercises or drills that are like more running specific. Okay. Um, cause running is like really quick. So everything has to be quick. So it'd be, yeah, some stretches, look at your muscles. Um, not it's, and it's not a lot. And the other thing I think, you know, people will talk a lot about this. It, it seems daunting and overwhelming. Um, but it's like, it's all about consistency. Um, okay. and I try and I try and keep my runners programs. I usually encourage them to do, I give them a shorter workout to do after each run or for like four days a week, but they're only like 20 minutes long. Um, okay. and if you're consistent, it helps. Sometimes if people are running a lot, I'll have give them a longer, um, a longer one that is maybe has a little more like strength, um, add some weights into it. Um, but in general, it, 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 it's all about like consistency. I feel like that's been like a trend in the community, but you know, cause we get, you know, running makes us stiff essentially. Right. So you have to kind of stay on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's for, I can tell you from my perspective, especially when I'm up in the Valley, like it's somewhat demoralizing because you look at people like Andrew, like Ryan Murphy, like, I don't know, Zach McCarthy's not exactly in that area. Like it's a bunch of skinny people that are like really like thin and tall and lanky. And these are the people that are running. So I guess it, it makes you think a little differently about the sport and even though, and that's what makes it more daunting, I guess, for somebody like me. And I'm sure for other people that are looking at it from this perspective of like, look at these people who are really good at it. Like they look yeah. like I look at Murphy and he's built like, like he's five eleven, and he's got away 135 pounds and he's yeah. a great athlete, but our body types are the exact opposite. So I guess that's that's a hurdle that I'm sure people face mentally as well when they're going out for a run and, and they're trying to get into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's who we see, you know, like yeah. you know, we can see the valley, but you could, you know, anytime you're like I love watching all of the like 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 famous ultra running races and like you totally nerd out on watching all those. Yeah, and they're all like super fit but i think if you look a little beyond that like there's a um great like run club in the valley here and you're gonna see people running all the time like all different sizes i think you, it's just i think the people that do well you know i think part of it is probably that like weight to strength ratio right um in the trail running world it's a little different but i know like in road running there is like a you know, there's an equation that's basically like weight and power equals speed. Right. So, you know, it, it is like beneficial for these people to be really light so then they can go faster. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that's just who we see at the top, but it, you don't have to go very far down and you, we see all different shapes and sizes and, and some of these people run like all the time. Um, right. So. For sure. Yeah. And I guess once you get in that groove, it's a little easier too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, before this interview, but I shouldn't stop you from running, but I, I get how it's like, I don't know. think it's going to stop yeah. very many people yeah. from running. I think right. it's, uh, I think but people I, will start to get yeah. into it and, and hearing that, you know, looking a little further than the elite level is important. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. I, I'm not saying that in a way because it's not fair. Right. 
people watch NBA basketball all the time. Nobody I know anymore can dunk a basketball. Like five people that I know can dunk a basketball. You know, it's not, people don't make that direct link all the time. I think because running is so accessible and you can literally just do it out of your front door. I do feel like sometimes it, they look at it a little differently, but yeah, I, I hope the same. And I don't, I don't necessarily. But think yeah, I think, and I, I mean, I haven't spoken with a ton of people about it, but I know it's definitely a, you know, it's a, you know, you see yourself and you see these people and you're like, we don't match. So like, right. oh, this is so I'm sure that's a big hurdle, like a common hurdle. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, so I, before this interview, I Googled uh, how to go running. Um, <laughs> uh, and it came up with an outside article, like almost right out of the gate. Uh, I think from this year there, and basically they just keep adding on things, uh, onto their list of like things that are good for running or misconceptions or things that you should kind of keep in mind. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they mention it, and I want to talk to you about a couple of them, uh, <laughs> is fixing your stride. What, what does that mean? for like for people that don't understand what that means i i have no clue what fixing your stride means um yeah i mean that's a very broad statement right there yeah but, that's what it uh, says number eight it says fix your stride so how you run which i guess if you were to break down any sport right there's like different phases so there's like stance phase when your foot's on the ground swing phase is when you're legs swinging through the air and then there's float phase. That's when you're sort of like floating in, in through the air. Um, and then like your stride is like, you know, the ability of getting your front leg forward and then assessing like when you're, how you're, when and how your foot's hitting the ground and then how you're like pushing off your leg in the back. So people tend, most people, most people have like a too narrow stride, you know, like, um, you know, they're not able to get their, leg forward enough, which just basically means they're just not going to be as like, um, the less, I guess, like mechanical advantage or, um, I guess that's, I guess that's right. right (laughs) Technical term, but basically like, I guess I'm trying to figure out what they were talking about with stride, but, um, you know, so they have a quote, they have no explanation for it, by the way, like zero, but they were like, he had to change everything about his stride from the way his feet were hitting the ground to the way he swung his arms. And that's the, quote. Okay. and they're just, they're just generally quoting it. Okay. So, so with like, yeah, we look at arms, we look at where your foot's hitting in the ground in relation to your body, how your foot's hitting the ground. And generally, you know, you, everyone's going to run differently. You know, there's like the perfect stride, but I feel like those are people who are running like fast road running races. You get on the trail and a lot of this, goes kind of out the window, but your arms, like your arm swing, um, dictates can dictate how the rest of your body's moving. So if you have like a really nice, strong elbow drive back, then that same knee is going to drive forward better. So then that means like, you're going to be able to get that leg forward more effectively. Um, and then, you know, a few years ago, or I guess it was longer than that. Now born to run came out, came out as a book and everyone was like, minimalist you know barefoot running and then it's right. kind of pivoted back so now it's you know everyone used to be really concerned about how your foot hit the ground were you a heel striker were you a forefoot striker um and now it's more about like where your foot's hitting the ground in relation to your center of mass okay. so if your foot's way out in front of you you know that's not that efficient because you're essentially hitting the brakes especially if you were like heel striking 
Um, or if you're landing right underneath you, you, you have like no leverage either. And then most of those people are going to be doing a lot of vertical displacement. So they're wasting all their energy and power up. Okay. So you want to have, you want to have your, your leg hit the ground a little bit in front of your center of mass, you know, your, your femurs going out and then your lower legs pretty flat and you can heel strike there a little bit. Um, and the, a lot of the certifications I've taken from this woman in France, Chloe Lantier, we talk a lot about, um, making sure your whole foot does get on the ground because our feet act as like really important absorbers. And if you are always landing on your toes, you lose a lot of that absorption and, um, compression, you can increase your compression up the leg. So, you know, I, whenever, if I have a runner come in and they have knee pain, I always look at their running, but I, it's not always like the first line of defense. Um, often it's a lot of mobility and strength that they might be missing asymmetrically or their muscles are just like trashed and we need to get them like healthier and working better. Right. But, but I will like, you know, cause how people run naturally is, is that like their most efficient way. But if someone is like chronic right knee pain and they've like tried to get it fixed and it comes back and, it, and it's persistent, then, you know, often you'll look, and I've had this happen a few times where they are heel striking pretty aggressively on the leg that hurts. Whereas on the other foot, they're landing more midfoot. And a, and a lot of people are asymmetrical. It's pretty interesting. And when someone heel strikes and they were heel striking way out in front of their body on that side, looking at just mechanics and physics, the front of your leg is going to get more loaded. So it makes sense that they were having knee pain. Got it. You can go the other way. If someone's toe, like landing on their toes all the time, they're more likely to have issues in the backs of their legs, all the muscles that go up the back of the leg, just out of like force and force vectors. Um, not always every, it's not always the case. Um, so I, I have them, okay, I'm going to have you try not to overstride. Um, and so I do that by giving them like drills, maybe they're not, like, they're not mobile enough to do it. Um, and then usually it, it helps. And then the goal is that that knee pain doesn't come back because it was the gait and their, their, how they run their mechanics that were the issue. Got it. Uh, so, um, cause it's, it's some, it's like one of those things that you can't be like, you know, bend your knee 30 degrees because it's, it's too challenging. You have to give like cues. And then what I've learned that I think has worked really well that I've taken on from what I've learned from Chloe is I try and give my patients a lot or, and runners a lot of drills. So like kicking drills and, and, and basically drills that mimic the, the running motion. And, and you see it a lot in road running and at the track, I think you just don't see it a lot of trail running Got it. because all that like mentality hasn't like shifted over. Um, and then it's like, you're just creating movement patterns and helping the body move. And then often you'll see that stuff like creep into their, into their running mechanics and their stride without even really realizing it. And, you know, they're aware, but, um, so it's, it's pretty, it's really cool when you start to break it down. And I've, I fell into the camp of like, I'm like, yeah, I run. But yet if I look back to all my ski racing, I mean, we would do drills for weeks trying to break down how we move. And like, we would do these like turning drills and mammoth forever, you know, <laughs> right. like, what are we doing? But I, I never like took that mindset and was like, Oh, running can be like that too. Right. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's, as a PT and a runner, it's been fun to just, you know, learn the nerd out on those things and then try to, you know, to explain it to people so they can understand it. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's part of the reason this is so valuable for people is because you're you're talking about something that's seemingly so simple, but is actually mm-hmm. very complicated and it's so variable person to person, and right. you don't even think about it. Again, yeah. you go back to just like walking out your front door and going for a run. Mm-hmm. And I think right. it, it's yeah. also like because there's so much information on the internet about it and you hear so many people say that even there was a football coach, I think it was the coach of the Titans last year that was like, do you see uh, gazelles stretch before they go and sprint off on a run? And so I guess that's something too. Like, Is it worth actually stretching and making sure you have that flexibility? I assume the answer is yes. But I mean, what is that? When people say things like that, how does that make you feel? Like, is there validity to that? Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot out there. Um, I think a lot of what we read in just magazine, I don't know, a lot of it is, yeah, it's hard to know where all this information is coming from. And it, and it is confusing because you could Google one thing and you could very quickly, easily find two very differing opinions on how to go about things, especially with running. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like if I, if you can explain it, and if we can understand it, you can explain it to the person and then they start to kind of understand why. Um, and everyone's going to be really different. I was going to say too, like, I don't know what else was in that list of how to, how to run, (laughs) how to start running, but like, it's so many things. Like if someone comes in and they have pain from running, you know, it's, it's, I guess I would also want to say like, you have to look at everything happening in that person's life. Um, right in a way it's, you know, it's like fatigue. It's like, are people recovering? You know, it's, there's so many little pieces that often add up to, to having something break down. Um, you know, how stressed are you in life? Like stress is stress. And if you're, you know, people are more likely to get injured or like, are you fueling enough? Like, um, it, you know, I think we try and make it really simple, but to do it well and to do it like healthy, um, you have to look at all these different pieces, which again, can be overwhelming. Like I try to really work on how people run and all these things with people that I've coached. I coach a few runners and there've been a few people who are like, I don't want to think about all this stuff. I just want to run. Yeah. And I think <laughs> and that's I said, valid. And I'm like, I don't know if we're a great fit only because I think that stuff's really important. Right. And, um, you know, I would feel like I'd be like doing you an injustice if we didn't like focus on all those things. Right. Um, and this is coming from someone who is experienced in this field, you know, so I think people should probably just take your advice and, and put their own shit aside. But what, what do I know? Yeah. I mean, some of the other things that were in this article that I thought were interesting were uh, it, one, it's not about all about the carbs, eat whole foods. Like a lot of this stuff seems fairly obvious layer up when it's cold. Yeah. That was a weird one for me. And also the weirdest one for me was random massages are a bad idea. What? So as a PT, can you like, does that make sense to you? It, it, I don't even know what this means or why it belongs on this list necessarily. I'm just, it's on a list on outside and it's literally the first thing when you Google, like, how do I start running? This is the first thing that comes up. Um, I don't, I'm like, I wonder if it's like the, what's the, what are they making point of the random part? <laughs> the massage part? I, I mean, I'm a big proponent of, um, if you're like running a lot, if you're in season again, I feel like I've started to have to do this, um, of having someone in your sphere, that sphere, whether it's a, you know, PTs do a pretty good job if it's more like dry needling and, um, or find a really good 
massage therapists and you know I I never put a lot of value in in quote-unquote massage until I started actually running more because that's when everything got tight and understanding more about our muscles and our body so it's like you know if if you're really sore or you're you know from a run then that means you're you know that soreness is like damaged essentially to your muscles and with you know hydrating and eating and recovering you know, that stuff's going to heal because that's how we get stronger. But sometimes it doesn't heal for whatever reason, if you're not recovering or you're overtired or you're, you know, you're not eating enough. And then, you know, you get like the, like the knot in your leg yeah. or things. If you really start to like get used to like trying to palpate like tendons and things, they get all kind of like bristly feeling. Yep. Um, and so that, if you start to think about the actual tissue, you know, it's like that tissue is, um, you know, not, as you know, the integrity is breaking down. So a, it's not going to function quite as well. If you have a huge knot in your quad right. and, and you're going to lose length and it's not as tight. And so I think it is important to get, in, you know, that stuff worked out. So that's where, you know, you can foam roll, you know, the massage guns are like trendy, you yeah. know, do those work? Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think they might give like a momentary relief. I know a lot of people are like, I, I do it before I run, but I think getting someone's like hands on you, um, is, is work is pretty important and works, work, works really well. And like, I have someone who I work with in the Valley here who I've gotten to know them. So I can just pop in for like 30 minutes, um, you know, and she'll just do my legs if, if I'm like running a lot training for a race yeah. and it's just like part of, I've made it like part of my like health running budget, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just part of it. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. something to kind of note too, is like, you kind of got to invest in yourself. Um, yeah. And then another thing I do that I started doing last year is I have a friend who's a PT and I just try and go see her like once a month when I'm running a lot, just to have her like do a once over, like, am I getting tight? Cause it's really hard to self-assess in my mind. I have issues and I'm, I, th- I think I'm great in some places and not in others. And then usually when someone actually tests me, it's like the opposite. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, that's something that I often encourage people to do too, is like have someone that like you can get a relationship with and they can just sort of keep tabs or if, you know, if for some reason, I don't know who came up with this word, but people call them like a niggle, I guess. I think it's a running thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of a niggle, you know, <laughs> like my niggles. And I was always like, what is a niggle? But basically it's like you running and like you start to get random calf pain every once in a oh. while. So people will be like, that's a niggle. That's what it's called. Okay, cool. And then, and then it's like, you know, as humans, like all of us usually try and wait it out. Right. Or we Google something and we're like, Oh, I'm going to fix this. Oh yeah. Um, It causes, yeah. It's slight, but persistent annoyance, discomfort or, or anxiety. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that applies. I first heard that word when we started running. (laughs) People are like, I niggle. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, sometimes, yeah, we can just kind of ignore them or stretch and they go away. But usually, you know, if, if you can get on top of those niggles, especially if it's like a muscle or a tendon issue, mm-hmm. like as soon as you can try to like combat it, the, the easier it's going to go away. If you let those things lie for a while, it's hard. It takes longer and it's often a little more challenging to get them to heal. Right. Well, but. awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, 
Well, cool. I think this is a good jumping off point. Um, I Where can people sign up for Run Strong? Where can people contact you? Uh, tell me the whole the whole deal. Um, run, uh, I have a website. It's just hillarymcloy.com. You can sign up for Run Strong there. And once you sign up, you have access all summer. So if you like it, you can keep going. Um, I add two workouts a week just for these first eight weeks. And then they just, they sit there. Okay. Um, my, you can email me through that as well. My website or Hillary at Hillary McCloy.com. Um, my Instagram for work is H McCloy PT. And then my other, my personal one is just Hillary McCloy. Yeah. And I would say too, like one of the best assets that people have in this is you, like you have direct access to you. And I think, I think that part's amazing if people are considering signing up for something like this. Definitely. If you have questions, let me know, um, either DM me or email me. I'm, I'm better, um, responding to emails. Like things get lost in social media <laughs> in my world sometimes. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I'm in Jackson, but I can do, I love to chat on the phone. I can do things virtually depending on where you are. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this, Hillary. As always, I appreciate it. And, uh, and I guess I'll see you this weekend at King Pine. Yes, I will be there. Cool. Should be a good um, time. Should be good. I haven't looked at the weather, but. Um, I'm scared too, so I'm not going to. <laughs> and yeah, you, let's chat. If whenever when you figure out what race you're gonna do, oh, yeah, I know. Maybe I should just start. I should do more runs. Maybe I'll go for. We have a break right now, so maybe I'll go for a run right now. Uh, we'll see how I feel. I never. Oh, and then the other thing I, I always like, I think is important to say, especially on this podcast. Actually, I should have learned this. <laughs> is, um, the biggest mistake that all like skinner like skiers make like we skin all winter right we get re- we get this like very lovely engine we're fit yeah and then the snow melts i've done this i even kn- i know better and i'm like oh hell yeah like i feel so strong i'm gonna start running up and down mountains and then you get very quickly like tendon problems <laughs> right so because your feet and your lower legs and have been in ski boots all winter they are not elastic and springy and they need to be so that's one of the big reasons why too, um, I think run strong is awesome. Or just if anywhere, if there's like local, wherever you live, there's run prep classes because the focus there is to get your, your running muscles and everything like ready. And it's especially evident after ski season because we're fit, but our bodies are not ready to run. Really. Oh, yeah. The fitness is so different. I can tell you, like I was on the bike last week and I'm like, Oh, I thought I was in shape. Like I was like, I was skied. Well, I was like, my tour was fine. I went for a bike ride and I'm like, Oh, you're a pile of shit right now. You need to figure yeah. it out before we start rolling into the next yeah. season. So I think, yeah, that's also, that's also part of it for sure. It's just a different, it's a different. Sport. Yeah. I did my first like hill, like we ran up and down or hike ran up and down a couple mountains. And like today I'm pretty sore. Um, you know, differently sore than from skinning and skiing and boot packing. So sure. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah. I will see right. you this weekend and, right. uh, and yeah, tell, uh, tell Squall happy sort of birthday. I will. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks Hillary. Bye. A little puppy over here. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> You're like, woof, woof, woof. that's your reminder to go to the site, go to the out of collective site, out of collective.com or, Go to outofpodcast.com, depending on what you're looking for. If you're looking for merch, go to Out of Collective. If you're looking for content, if you're looking for 
um, opinion pieces, gear reviews, go to outofpodcast.com. Yes, I realize that is more complicated than it needs to be. Yes, we are going to merge those things eventually into one cohesive site. But in the meantime, subscribe to the YouTube, go to those sites, shop around, support what we're doing here over at the Out of Collective and listen to the other shows. Uh, so without further ado, here is my new friend, Sean McDowell. Sean, tell people a little bit about yourself. Tell people who you are, what you do, and uh, kind of a quick background for some of the listeners here. Sure thing. Hi, my name is Sean McDowell. I'm Senior Vice President at Sperry. I'm in charge of product creation here. I had a 22-year career at Nike, um, and so that's what probably some people would know me for, but uh, really excited to be able to kind of turn the Sperry brand around. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And if you'll notice, I'm wearing both models nice. of these shoes. That, Look at uh, you go. Just showed right. up. Um, and they're great. It's I was actually just telling Morgan a little while ago, it's a totally new direction for the brand, I think. And it's something that you guys haven't made before. And it's like, it, it's fun. Like, it's something that I would wear. I am a... Uh, I'm a sneakerhead for sure. Like I have, uh, I have a problem. Uh, and uh, how many shoes do you have? Would you say two hundred something like that? Um, yeah, so that's enough, pretty good. Enough uh, to have that a would problem. be that would be better for my wife. I'm I think I'm pushing close to a thousand, and uh, it takes over most of the storage in the attic. So uh, she's not a happy camper. Uh, close to a thousand. Okay, so I gotta I gotta push the limit a little bit here, um, and I'm clearly not not up to snuff to be full sneakerhead yet. But, but I be- also like I worked at a lot of footwear brands for a long time. I'm a size nine, which is sample size, and a lot right. were for free. So like. I feel like I'm cheating a little. What can I ask you then a very important question? If you like had to pick a couple pairs out of that collection that you're like very proud to show off of, what do you, what do you got? Oh yeah. I mean, I love Jordan. So, you know, sort of Jordan one, Jordan three, Jordan 11, like those are some of my favorites. Yep. Um, But I worked in Nike running for a long time um, and I designed a lot of shoes. So uh, there's something special about owning a shoe that you design and, and wearing it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we should probably talk about some of that stuff. So, I mean, you've worked at, you worked at Nike for 22 years. Is that right? Yeah. It's, right. That's Long completely, time. completely insane to me. And I mean, you've designed some of the shoes that people will know very well. Like, I mean, you were creative director on Vaporfly, uh, the Air Max uh, Plus One, which sold over 9 million units. I mean, that's like, that kind of stuff is absolutely insane to me. So talk to me a little bit about what that process looks like for you, how you come into designing stuff like that and, and why, I guess, why you even started designing shoes in the beginning. Yeah. I didn't know that I was going to be a designer. I I grew up in Ithaca, New York, which is a really quiet town. And I was the kid kind of in the neighborhood who was always drawing or sketching, or I'd fix your radio for you. (laughs) Or if Adam was running just for school president, I would do posters for you, like all over the school. Um, I was that guy. Um, And I didn't think that that could turn into a career, but um, I had a counselor who said, you know, why don't you think about this as a, as a career? And so I went to Carnegie Mellon university in Pittsburgh and studied industrial design and um, uh, I ran track. So I I grew up kind of a a track kid and uh, a a job at new balance opened up and, and I loved that as a foundation. And then that sort of led to the Nike job. So it was really like, I think I was sort of born a designer and, and I just stumbled onto it and found it. And I'm just so happy that I did because I'm really had fun the entire time. Yeah. And obviously we'll kind of transition into some Sperry stuff here, but I have obviously a lot of questions about your past career as well. I mean, 
one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is what you draw inspiration from. For example, Air Max Plus, I read an article on Sneaker News that suggested you drew inspiration from beaches and whales. You know, like, so yeah, how right. do you, how do you get, how do you get inspiration for stuff that you design? Yeah, I think it comes from everywhere. Like, I think once you sort of get into that design mode, you see possibilities everywhere. So yeah, that's sort of a famous story. I was um, taking a vacation. I was in Florida and uh, I was watching the sunsets and sort of the palm trees on the sunset. And we went on a whale watching trip and I sort of took those elements and built a shoe out of it. Um, you know, that would be one time. Um, you know, there's other times where you really geek out on the technology. So like VaporMax itself was how can we get something really lightweight, very, very cushioned, very flexible, create sort of the ultimate um, VaporMax and what would that look like? And so the engineering sort of takes over and you create the pods that need to fit and flex with your foot. And, and so that becomes dominant. So I would say every project's different and inspiration can come from anywhere. It can come from your kids. It can come from butterflies. It can come from going to the zoo. It can come from a conversation like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always been a crazy thing for me to kind of think about is you see this product come out and you always wonder like, what is, what does that story look like? How do people come up with these ideas? Especially some of the more iconic ones. Like, I mean, Air Max Plus is a shoot, like I said, 9 million units. Like that's, that's not nothing. That's a lot yeah. of shoes to be selling. And I guess that's always the thing is how do you, how do you decide that? Okay. This, I like this design, but I don't know if it's going to actually work for a consumer, right? Because those are two different things. Like when I was starting off in sales, they always told me, or when I was starting off as a buyer, they always told me, don't just buy what you like, buy what you think is going to sell, right? So I assume that some of that goes into design as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the start of the Max Plus One, I did kind of a deep analysis on what were the best selling Maxes of the time. Okay. And so I took some of Sergio Lozano's Air Max 95 and I tried to kind of break it down. There was kind of a gentle fade on that. There was Christian Tresser's Air Max 97, which had lots of fluidity and called attention to the airbag. And I'm like, trying to sort of dissect what the winners were, what was the best selling stuff at the time and then created something new and fresh based on that analysis. Um, but that was a funny one too. Like the, the team at Foot Locker did not like the design. They did not <laughs> think it was good the first season. And, uh, and it was nice to, you know, have it sell over, over time. Does that, how much does that impact your confidence in the product that you put out? Because like when yeah, you have right. a big buyer like Foot Locker, that's like, uh, I don't know. Does that, does that rattle you at all? Or do you have enough confidence in the stuff that you design at this point in your career that you're like, I, I know it's going to work. Like I feel good about this. So I think it's going to work regardless of what anybody else says. I think now, yeah. I mean, I'm whatever, 30, 35 years in. So I, I, I feel like I've got good instincts on what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, but there are really subtle differences between the biggest wins and a colossal failure. And sometimes, you know, it's just a hair or a couple degrees off. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot in sneaker culture where like a shoe will get dropped, like the, the leak will get dropped. And then everybody yep. on the internet will be like, this is, this is shit. Like, this is terrible. We don't like this. And then you'll see subtle tweaks come out. And Nike's really good at this where you'll see subtle tweaks in materials and design that then all of a sudden it works and it clicks with the audience. Yeah. So it seems yep. like people are really good at design in design at Nike and at other brands at just adapting to what the consumer wants without letting it completely control what they do. 
Yeah. And I think that's a lot of credit to the review process. You know, there's sometimes that you come up with the first sketch, you get an early prototype in and you want to make improvements on that. And you have sort of some friends and colleagues critique it just like any piece of artwork. And that's also how it makes some pretty big improvements through the process. And so this is maybe a little bit of an inside baseball question, and it's probably the last question I'll ask in relation to Nike or other brands, but are you guys the one that leaks these things? Like, are you, or is it somebody (laughs) inside that is like, I want this to go out into the world? Or is it somebody that just happens to have access, a friend, like it's an actual leak? Because I always wonder, does the company decide that it leaks? Because those kind of things work. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that it works. I know from my perspective, we hated leaks um, and Nike <laughs> did everything they could to shut down those leaks. Um, and they've prosecuted people for leaking products. Really? Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. That's hilarious. So I, I always like it when it's brand new and fresh to the marketplace and it's a nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you see it in music a lot too, where the song will come out and it's almost an intentional leak by whoever's producing it so that people kind of get hyped like i just saw it on the new song that's coming out on friday but they'll leak little bits of it so that people get excitement but i think that that's and you can tell me one way or the other but i think that that's a valuable part of releasing something new and different especially if it's an already established product i get it if it's a brand new product but if it's a like if you're releasing a new dunk then I think people know what a dunk looks like. The graphic just gets them excited to go and buy it. And like somebody like right. me goes and marks it on their calendar when there's a projected release date. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the other company that's excellent at this is the automobile industry. They're so good at controlling those leaks and having them be at the right moments. Um, even sometimes the movie industry. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Sometimes it can be very effective if you use it correctly. Um, speaking of the movie industry, I did want to ask you about this because it's kind of ridiculous. Like, and it's a ridiculous thing in a good way to have on your resume, but costume design for Spider-Man. What, what did that look like? Can you tell me anything about what that process was? Yeah. So I was a running footwear designer and I came up with a shoe called the Kukini, um, which was a triathlon shoe with a stretch TPU web on it. And, uh, Jim Atchison was the costume designer for the original Spider-Man that the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi version. And uh, Jim called Mark Parker at Nike and and said, who designed this shoe? Can he come down and work with my team for a couple of weeks? Um, And Mark was amazing and said, sure. And so I went down to Hollywood and worked with Jim and the whole team. You know, it's a team of 25 amazing creative people that are building the costumes. And so we did uh, Toby McGuire's costume, you know, the entire outfit is the same TPU material that we did on the Kukini. If you look really closely on the actual fabric, it's the same as the sock liner of the Kukini. So all those little ovals were replicated on Toby McGuire's costume. So that same sublimation. Um, and then we also did Willem Dafoe's um, foam posit for the Green Goblin. That's amazing. Like that, it's so crazy that that kind of opportunity comes up in design. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Like once in a lifetime experience. I was the first person to try on the Spider-Man costume. No way. Um, So (laughs) that's like a a dream come true. I was a super comic book geek as a kid growing up and still kind of am. Um, So being able to try that on uh, like in the studio, um, you feel like a superhero. (laughs) That's incredible. That's, uh, that's really, it's funny. You never think that sneaker culture influences so many different things, but it does. It ties into into so much of what the real world does. 
Especially today. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yep. today, for sure. You're starting to see people. And I think that's, again, it's part of what a lot of the brands have done with like these drops and it's like new sneakers and it creates like a new want for people to have all of this, like this fresh, fresh idea, fresh design, the newest thing. And it's, and new collabs, new, I, I don't know. It kind of blows my mind to see where it's gone, especially over the past five years or so. Yeah. Yep. Big changes over the last 30 years. Um, okay. So Sperry, talk to me about what that transition was like. Um, you're now in a totally different position and you're kind of changing a company in my perspective for the better, um, for people that can't see, like I'm wearing two of the shoes that are on the new roster. Um, yeah. and they are, it's very different. I told you this right off the rip. It's, it's different from what Sperry's made in the past. And it actually seems to make almost more sense to what you know, Sperry's core audience is, right? Like it's very in line with what Sperry is, I don't know, marketed towards, yeah. but it's almost more function. Right. Yeah. Well, and and I I love turning brands around. That's been something that's been really important for me. And so coming into Sperry, it's been depressed for the last couple of years. And so coming in with a fresh lens and saying, geez, we've got an 85 year history. This is incredible. You've got some real iconic shoes, the authentic original the very first boat shoe. We did the circular ramp Oxford in 1930s. Like we have done some really iconic shoes over the years. Can you celebrate that history, but then bring it into the 21st century? Mm. And so the first thing right when I walked in the door was to start working on this Sperry Sport collection. And I've always loved a balance of lifestyle and performance at brands because you really hit two different types of consumers. And so we went back to Paul Sperry's original vision of how can we make the best water sports shoes in the world? What does that look like? And so we just, we started getting in and doing focus groups on Zoom during the pandemic, which I've never done before, <laughs> where you're like, someone's taking their camera onto a boat and they're taking you through like, here's what I need, you know, from start to finish. Um, and I'm scribbling down notes and the whole team is kind of working. Um, it was a really, really fun process to, to go through that. And I love inventing new things. And I had never really done this type of product before. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what kind of inspiration went into these things. Because like I look at this and I'm sure everybody looks at this and they go, okay, Crocs, right? Because it's the first thing that like, it's the first thing that you think of because it's rubberized and it's, but I will tell you, this fits a lot better than a pair of Crocs. Like, and it's not. Right soft it's actually pretty rugged it's got some it's got some material to it so yeah talk to me about what yeah, the thought I think process that's right was. yeah I'll, I'll take you through sort of the performance side and then sort of the aesthetic side the okay. performance side there's really like three key features that came up across the board one is i need hydrophobic materials if i'm on the water i don't want it getting wet and soggy and smelly like that's the worst thing that you could have so we'll do the opposite of that the second is I need good wet traction. Like it's slippery on, on like tile surfaces when you're on a pool deck or on your boat. I don't want to slip. That's sort of the number one, number two thing. And then the number three thing is sometimes when I'm on the boat, it gets like really choppy and I need to prevent that vibration from sort of shock waves through my entire kinetic chain. So can you make it soft and comfortable um, and moderate some of that pressure? And so that was on the performance side that those were things that we were baking into a lot of the products. And then from a cosmetic side, um, you'll see on all of these shoes, they have kind of a 45 degree stripe yep. on all of them that came from the U S coast guard. Um, the U S coast guard has 
two stripes, a red and a blue. And when you see that, it gives a lot of confidence to boaters when they're out on the water, right? They can get rescued by the, the Coast Guard. Um, and so we wanted to kind of convey some of that, um, you know, authority and presence and speed, but also the confidence that you would have um, from, from the US Coast Guard. So we stole a little bit of that and put that into the whole line and that really like pulled things together. Yep. So then you're talking about the water strider that's on your foot yep. and, and you're exactly right. I mean, just being totally transparent, there were a lot of people that said, I like Crocs because it doesn't absorb any moisture. If I, let's say I'm, I catch a fish and I have to clean the fish and it gets guts all over the place. Like I can just hose that shoe down. It's pretty good, Yeah. but Crocs are very slippery. They, um, they don't fit very well. And if you fall off the boat, they actually fall off as well. <laughs> um, so we created something that we call plunge worthy. So it really, we scanned over 3,300 feet to get sort of an optimum shape. Um, and it fits really, really well. It's very comfortable, especially in the heel. So it kind of cradles your heel. Yeah. And if you jump off the boat, these stay on your foot. And then it has um, our best wet rubber traction on the bottom and kind of in the heel and the forefoot. So it gives you excellent traction um, wherever you're going on, on any wet surface. Yeah. It's really funny because there's no, like Crocs always talks about that sport mode, right? And that's like kind of the running joke on the internet is, is put them in sport mode and you can do whatever you want, but it's not true. They still fit like garbage. I have Crocs obviously, but they've, this has nothing on the back yet a size 11 fits like a size 11 for me. And it is like, I feel like my heel is locked into the point where it's almost like, almost like a ski boot. I get my heel is down and it feels secure. Like I could go run in this thing if I wanted to. Yeah, I do think that people have been doing a lot of different activities in them and it's been really fun. They're scrambling on rocks, they're doing paddle boarding, they're doing kayaking, a lot of different events and activities. So what is the next step for you guys look like in terms of design of these things and in terms of like adding more colors, more like, are you kind of taking some of the inspiration, like in the versatility, I guess, that you had at Nike and applying that towards what Sperry's doing? Because I feel like there's this, especially with this shoe in particular, there's a lot of opportunity for different colors, for people to really get behind it and for people to kind of expand what they have in their closet, I guess. That Yeah, that's exactly right. No, and, and I think it's really astute of you to sort of see that there's a lot of potential here. So we've been having excellent sales so far. That's been really fun for us is to just see like the community has really embraced what we've created. And so that makes you feel great. And then you just want to keep following up and keep it fresh. So, you know, we've got that shoe, that water strider coming with a new carbon fiber print on top of it. We've got great new colors coming. The women's colors look gorgeous. Um, you know, it's really nice to um, be able to do both genders. I think yeah. that's one of the things that Sperry's always been good at is, is men's and women's products. So um, yeah, fun, fun new collection coming soon. Yeah, I got to say some of the women's product looks, I mean, better than the men's. Like the colorways are amazing. I think I think you guys nailed it on that. Um, yeah, I guess I one of my other questions is like, what did you think when you walked into Sperry, what did you think needed addressing, right? Because to me, looking from the outside in 10 years ago or so when I was in high school and transitioning into college, it was like the frat boy shoe, right? It was the, I wear pink shorts and I wear Sperry's and, and that kind of died out after a while. Right. So what, yeah. what was some of the things that you felt needed addressing, 
um, at Sperry? Well, I would say that was the first thing was, okay, we invented the world's first boat shoe and it's so iconic. You know, you, you've seen it for 85, 86 years. Um, how can we make that fresh again? And how can we, you know, penetrate a larger audience and a more global audience? How can we get out of that frat boy image and get to, you know, more diversity and inclusion? And, um, and part of that is working with people like John Legend and different collaboration partners and really broadening um, how we show up in the world. Um, it's been really nice for us because Preppy is starting to make a comeback and the boat shoe is starting to make a comeback. So uh, for the first time in about eight years, we're having you know our best sales in boat shoes. It's crazy because you guys have, this is a time when you guys have a, like direct competitors in boat shoes and in waterproof wear that are being worn on a regular, regular basis for people who aren't even necessarily boat people. Like extra tough has kind of blown up. Like where they're the, like you think about that shoe and I know tons of people that just wear them around because they want a waterproof shoe. And these kind of fit the same bill as that. They just look better. They're just more stylish and they, they fit. Yeah, and I think there's one other feature that's really um, on that cutwater deck boot. We created a new perforated neoprene that circulates air all around your foot. Um, so it's much more breathable and comfortable. So uh, it doesn't uh, become a sweat box. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, the fit is something we really, really obsessed. Um, so many times you'll wear those uh, big rubber boots and it's like a galosh. It's like really right, right, right. wide right. open at the top and sort of a sloppy fit. Um, this is much more tailored. It, it looks beautiful on, on the body. And we feel like that we're getting great feedback from a lot of our fishermen and oystermen that, that are wearing the product today. Mm. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So uh, can I, I also want to ask what do you find benefit in working with somebody like a John legend, right? Because you see all these collabs with kind of icons and culture working with shoe brands, like I guess Pharrell's a good example. John Legend's a good example. There's a bunch of people out there that are making these collections and having input in brands that you wouldn't necessarily expect right off the bat. But it seems to me from the outside looking in that it, that it makes a difference in the way that a shoe sells and also in a way that people start to look at a company. So, I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, over the years, I've had a great opportunity to work with so many different people from the athletes like a Kobe Bryant uh, or a Michael Johnson to, you know, Virgil Abloh on the lifestyle side or a Miley Cyrus or Tyler, the creator. So everyone's a little bit different. Everybody that you work with, um, John was phenomenal, um, like really, really engaged. It was a pandemic. So he wasn't able to go on tour and do concerts. So we actually had more access um, he took us into his closet with his iPhone and, and sort of showed like, I like this, I like that. I've got this huge collection of watches. He's got an electric uh, Porsche that's incredible. Like there were so many areas of inspiration. And then we would send him shoes and he had lots of creative ideas on, on how to make it better or different or fit his personality. So some partners, some collaboration partners are really engaged. And that's when you love it the most because it stretches your brand. It pushes you to a new space. Um, and I, I think we got great, you know, bang for our buck from, from working with John. Can I, and since you brought it up, I, I'm going to ask you a Kobe Bryant question because I'm probably one of the bigger Kobe Bryant fans that, that I know at least what, what was it like working with him on projects? What did you get that kind of feedback from somebody like that? And obviously rest in peace to Kobe, because that's like, that was one of my, whenever I think about things growing up, like he was my biggest inspiration as a child was to like go and play basketball 
and work really hard. Like those are the two things yeah. that that guy kind of instilled in me. So what, what was the experience like working with him? Super intense. Um, he, <laughs> out of all of the athletes that I've worked with, he obsessed every millimeter of every product um, in a really good way. Like he would push us to create all new products uh, from scratch. And it, it got you thinking differently. And that's what you want in some of these collaboration partners. And he would try on the shoes and test the shoes and make sure that they were working and, and come back with ideas and suggestions or sandpaper things, you know, like I need a little more radius on this side, you know, like he was crazy in the best, best possible way. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane to me that you, that you've worked with some of these people. So, um, and especially Virgil too, like I've got that Virgil icons book sitting next to me right now. So, um, very cool. Um, can I, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I, I imagine people ask you how to get into design, how to start a career in design, especially young designers. Like it's easy to get frustrated in this space where you're like, I'm trying stuff and it's not hitting and I'm not getting an engagement on it, or I'm applying for jobs and I'm not getting them. What, what advice do you give to those people when that gets prompted? Yeah, I think it's a great question. One, it, it's so fun to see young sneaker collectors that are interested in being part of the community and, and designing for us. Um, it's, it's one of the best things in the world. And I love talking to young designers or, or lecturing at colleges and universities and, and trying to get people excited and inspired. That's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I would say um, if you're bumping up against roadblocks, one, keep working on your portfolio. That tends to be the number one thing. If you've got a rock star portfolio, you're going to get job opportunities. That's, there's no question about it. Um, so keep working on your craft. Um, some people think, oh, I'm, I, I did a sketch and therefore someone should hire me. It's, it's much more complicated than that. Like keep working on your craft, become a great artist and a designer. Talk to consumers. That's where you get the best insights. If anyone has a problem that they're sharing, you know, like we were talking about with Sperry Sport, I slipping on the deck of my boat, that is an opportunity to solve a problem that will help you create something new. So always look for problems to find solutions to. That tends to be, you know, one of the best things that you can do. And that's really helpful in any job interview. I went out, I did a consumer focus group. I talked to consumers. They told me this, therefore I built a product like that. Um, I would also say that people think, oh, I'm going to apply to Nike or Adidas or the big ones first. I started at New Balance. I think there's a lot of people that start at smaller companies. They learn the craft a little bit and then they can kind of work their way up the food chain. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of it's important to kind of keep your I always like think about whenever we partner with a new brand. My goal is to always be big fish, smaller pond, make a bigger impact on the company that we work with and try to move forward from that. And I think sometimes that mindset works really well. Sometimes it doesn't work well, but I'd, I'd rather do that than be a medium fish in a gigantic pond. And because then you kind of just get overlooked. It, it, you don't have the same impact on the brand that you could one way or the other. And I think once you impact a brand, as you were saying, in one way, you kind of have that opportunity to move to that next step, move to a bigger brand and show, hey, this is That's what right. Done. At those huge companies, sometimes you feel like a cog in this enormous machine. Yeah. And I think that's what's nice about some of the small companies is you really learn a lot of different aspects and you can have an impact right away. Yeah. Awesome. A um, couple more questions, then I'll let you go. Uh, what What is next for you guys? What is your goal um, at Sperry going forward? 
Yeah, I think you keep building the momentum that we've got. So I mentioned the boat shoes. That's one of our big pillars. That's starting to come back now. And so we're constantly bringing fresh new ideas there. Um, boots has always been kind of a strong pillar of ours. So wet weather boots, rain boots has been great. Um, so bringing fresh new ideas there. And then we've had a stable of vulcanized sneakers for quite some time. We, we did the first circular vamp Oxford. We've got boat shoes that are sneakers. Um, which that hybrid um, is feeling like that's a new trend that's that's coming up. And then this fourth pillar of, of Sperry Sport that we talked about. So I think that's the, the portfolio that we tend to look at is these four pillars. And each one has its own unique challenges and opportunities. Yeah, very interesting. I'm, I'm psyched to see where it goes. Um, my last question for you is why do you live in Massachusetts? Why, why mass? Like I, I also am in mass and I wonder why I live here. And I imagine our reasonings are very different, but I would like some insight on that as somebody who considers moving all the time, but ends up staying here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And, and, uh, we did the launch for Sperry sport down in Miami and it was gorgeous, you know, in, in February. And you wonder those questions sometimes too, when it's like the heart of winter and, uh, you're getting these 24 inch snowstorms. Um, it does feel good to live in, in warm places. So, um, I love the four seasons. I love the sports of Boston. Mm. I love the culture. I love the medical community. Um, you know, there's so many universities and colleges that we can tap into from an innovation perspective. Um, so there's a lot of real benefits to Boston. It's a cool sort of smaller city that wants to be bigger. Um, so I love all of those aspects. Um, if I could like wave a magic wand and have a little less snow in the wintertime, that would be good for me. Yeah. And obviously the people in Boston are notoriously very kind, friendly and open. So, I mean, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, I guess a bit, yeah, I always look and, at it and like some of the best drivers in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's well noted for sure. I always think about it. Like I, I like where I live because it, it feels like home, right? I'm always excited to leave, but then you get the opportunity to come home and it's like, I'm home and nobody's, nobody's bothering me. Like, this is where I am. I don't feel the need to like go be a psycho like versus you go out West or you go to like Miami or uh, San Francisco and you're like, there's so much stimulation going on that it almost feels to the point where you're like, I, I don't, I don't need this all the time. Yeah. Right. For right. sure. Nice right. to visit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, well, Sean, thank you. I can't thank you enough for the time. I appreciate it. Um, if people want to contact you, where can they find you? Where can they find the shoes, obviously? And obviously, anything else you have to plug, feel free. This is this is the time. Yeah, sean.mcdowell at sperry.com is email. Feel free to reach out anytime. Um, Sean McDowell on LinkedIn, um, pretty easy to find there. Um, so yeah, feel, feel free. Um, always love supporting young, new artists and designers kind of growing up through the industry. Um, and, um, always good to connect with you, Adam, you know, you've got uh, great, great business and it's nice that you're a, 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 such a sneaker head, um, <laughs> and you know, the products really, really, really well. So it's fun to talk it through. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean. We'll talk to you soon.